0: Verse 1. First Timothy chapter 6, verse 1. Let all who are under the yoke as slaves regard their own masters as worthy of all honor, so that the name of God and our doctrine may not be spoken against. And let those who have believers as their masters not be disrespectful to them because they are brethren, but let them serve them all the more because those who partake of the benefits are believers and beloved teach and preach these principles. So we are coming to this, these two verses in our study here of first Timothy that deal with slavery. And I've decided to take a little extra time on this subject because it is one that's somewhat controversial. Uh, We said that we need to look at this subject both from a biblical and historical perspective. And we started to do that last time. Those who would denigrate Christianity and the Bible, the the revelation of God, often try to paint Christianity as being pro-slavery. They would use verses like this. There's many others. We looked at some of them Last time in the New Testament and also a lot in the Old Testament. Um, As I pointed out last time, and as I think we'll see again today, it wasn't just those who would try to denigrate Christianity that would point to these verses, but actually, uh, and unfortunately, even some Christians have viewed the biblical teaching as condoning slavery. So I want to give just a very brief review of this message. It really has to be incorporated with the last one or you won't get a full picture. But just a brief review. We saw that in the ancient Near East, the region that uh, Christ was born in, the region that all the biblical uh, accounts deal with, um, and we're talking especially in Old Testament times, that slavery existed everywhere in that area it was just a a common uh, form of uh, how society functioned in most situations slaves had no legal status or rights and they were viewed as property by by their owners it was to the people in that kind of situation and i would say it was uh, the world at that time was brutal and barbaric world still that way in some places that's for sure but the world at that time was very brutal and barbaric and God was beginning to deal beginning to reveal uh, his word to his people in order to draw them uh, away from such inhumane inhuman practices so God was just beginning with with Abraham and drawing a people to himself. He was drawing them out of the ways of the world through his word, through the laws that he was giving. Now I wanna just expand on some things I said last time. Slavery is, is a result of the fall, as is all sin, the fall of humanity into sin. And, I think we could probably say that it's existed in the world since that, since the time of the fall. Uh, The oldest ancient records that we have uh, of that area, uh, Mesopotamia and the Middle uh, Near East, all record the activity of slavery. And it wasn't just in that part of the world either. Slavery was going on uh, in both North and South America the same time. Uh, So it it was a universal phenomenon uh, because of the fall of mankind into sin. Now when God gave the law to Moses, that would be 1500 BC, 1500 years before the time of Christ, slavery was very established in the world. But we can say this, this was not part of God's original plan. For his creation Uh, it's not the way things were before the fall Uh, and I want to try to give a little feel for how to understand something like this I'm going to use the the the, um, subject of divorce to do that because divorce Jesus said when the Pharisees came to him and asked him was it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any cause He said, basically Jesus said, well, Moses gave you some laws related to divorce because of the hardness of your hearts. But from the beginning it was not so. What's he saying? He's saying this is not the way God designed things initially. It's because of the fall that there was even such a thing as divorce. And what I'm saying is because of the fall there was even such a thing as slavery. You can put them kind of in the same category. It's because of the hardness of man's heart that we even had such a thing as slavery. So, um, things like divorce and slavery needed to be regulated by the Mosaic Law because of the hardness of men's men's hearts. But from the beginning, it was not so. God's ultimate design for His world is that there would be no slavery, there would be no divorce, there would be no selfishness, no sin. Now, we're talking about in the future. Now, I'm going all the way from creation to the recreation. Uh, but of course that's not the case right now. That's not going to be the case until all sin is eradicated from the earth when Christ comes again. But even now, when a person or a nation more fully applies the principles of God's word, there will be increased justice and righteousness in every area of life. And God was beginning, the point we were trying to make last time, was God was beginning to pull people away from selfishness and sin through his law, through the law that God gave. And that had to even do in this area of slavery. If we compare the Old Testament laws concerning slaves with those uh, of the surrounding cultures of the ancient Near East, you find that the Hebrews had a clear concept of the humanity of the slave and better laws concerning the treatment of the slaves. We tried to point that out last time. So... God was beginning to regulate. This is the point, that uh, the main point. God was beginning to regulate an existing social reality by dealing with His people on a, on the moral level that they were at at the time, in order to bring them further along. It's the way you do when you train, uh, train a child. You start down at the level that they're on. You don't start teaching uh, Shakespeare to the two-year-old. Start with the ABCs, you know. Well, that's what God was doing with his people. And uh, in order to bring them further along than what the the surrounding cultures that they were in, although it may not seem like an advancement when we look at it from our perspective today, what God was teaching his people was a definite improvement over the way that most nations were treating slaves at that time. So it was an advancement. We also pointed out that slavery allowed by the scriptures was not should not be equated with the type of slavery seen in the pre Civil War uh, Southern United States. Well was yeah, not should not be equated with that, which was almost universally forced violent enslavement according to race. Um, we saw that there were many different ways that came, that slavery came about in the Old Testament, which generally had nothing to do with race and sometimes at least was not forced and violent, for instance, sometimes slavery sometimes came about as a means of economic relief of poverty. There were slaves who actually initiated the uh, slavery that was actually initiated by the person themselves not by the the slave owner because of poverty. These were debt slaves who sold themselves into slavery basically to stay alive. Sometimes children were sold into slavery by their parents to pay debts. Some slaves were actually abandoned infants, which was very common back then. If you didn't want a child, you just abandoned it. They were picked up and raised as slaves. Other slaves were prisoners of war which had been spared from being massacred when the enemy was defeated. While others were condemned criminals, there were also people who were kidnapped and made slaves. So the point is that slavery in Old Testament Testament Israel uh, would have ranged from everything from what we might think more of today like some type of a servanthood or indentured servant all the way through to the severe forms of slavery that we normally think of. So that's basically what we looked at last time. So this brings us then to slavery in the New Testament, and especially in the Roman Empire. The Apostles were faced with a situation in New Testament times when slavery was still universally practiced. It was everywhere. In Rome around this time, around the time of Christ, it was estimated that one-third of the inhabitants were slaves. So think of that, one-third of your population is slaves. Slave labor was foundational to the economy of the empire, but Again, I think it's important to realize this was non-racial slavery, and it was not always brutal. So we got we we just automatically, at least here in America, when we think of slavery, we think of that pre-Civil War slavery that that we know of from the South. That was racial slavery. This this was not slavery according to race back in the, in the time of Christ. In general, it was not. Um, many of the slaves were urban household slaves and actually had greater opportunity for freedom and status and economic mobility than even some of the non-slaves of that day. So we've got to kind of shift our thinking here when we think of slavery. Some of what was called slavery in the New New Testament time, again, would be something similar to servanthood or indentured servants. Uh, But that's not to say that much of the slavery was not very cruel. Um, There was a lot of very cruel uh, aspects to slavery also at this time. But it wasn't all that way. Some people actually voluntarily joined the ranks of slavehood because it was better for them. And many Roman slaves actually became Roman citizens through their, their loyalty to their very, very wealthy Roman masters. You could actually come out of slavery uh, into being a citizen, uh, depending on how your master determined you know, what, was, uh, what he wanted to do. It's good to keep in mind that in that society, freedom was not always the best situation and slavery was not always the worst situation. Um, if, if you want to read more on this subject, I just put a little note in my, my notes here because, uh, we're doing a pretty superficial, even though we spend two times on it, this is still pretty superficial. Um, there's a, there's a site called Christian think tank. It's all one word, Christian think tank. And they have some really good articles related to old Testament and new Testament slavery. And they're long, they're very long articles, uh, Like little booklets almost. So, if you want to dig into the subject and know more, that's one site I would recommend Christian Think Tank. So, what I'm trying to say, it was into this diverse setting that the various New Testament exhortations to slaves and masters came about. Um, And one reason we have so much in the New Testament. New Testament about slaves and masters is because a lot of slaves became Christians, which tells you something about the appeal of of Christianity to a person in that situation. Um, Many members of the New Testament church were slaves, and so this was a pressing issue. How should a Christian slave view their situation? Paul looks at two possible situations here in, the, in just these two verses that we're looking at first of all what should be the christian slave's attitude toward a non-christian master Then the second thing that he looks at what should be the christian slave attitude toward a christian master so this is what we want to look at here a little bit today paul says that the christian slave under a non-christian master should picket protest and revolt you didn't see that did you? That's cause that's not what he said, Paul, in the wisdom that God gave him, saw that these actions would be counterproductive to the advancement of the gospel and also foolhardy for the slave themselves. insubordination or revolt would have been brought would have brought a violent retaliation, any form of slave revolt or resistance would have been put down with merciless force. So Paul didn't take that route. Um, Well, just as an example, some of you, if you've studied history a little bit, might remember the name Spartacus. He was a slave gladiator. And he led a revolt of the slaves in the Roman Empire that was put down in 71 B.C., so a little before the time that we're speaking of. Well, Spartacus was killed, and they, they brought out the Roman legions and uh, dealt with this slave revolt, and actually the slaves held their own for a while, but eventually they were defeated. Spartacus was killed in battle, and 6,000 of the remaining slaves that had revolted were crucified along the highways of Rome. So that just shows you what happened, what the attitude would be if there was any kind of revolt. Um, in general, if a slave ran away and was caught, he was either executed or branded on the forehead with a letter F, which stood for fugitivus. In other words, he was a fugitive, a runaway. So, should the Christian slave render grudging obedience, resigning themselves to passively accepting their bad lot in life, no, that's not what Paul was saying either. He was not recommending a continuation of the status quo. He was actually teaching far, something far more radical than either revolt or resignation. He was teaching the revolutionary principle of love and sacrifice and trusting God in difficult situations for the sake of the advancement of the gospel. That's what he was, Paul was always concerned With the advancement of the gospel, what would best advance the gospel? You know, that's the way we should live our lives. In this situation, what will best advance the gospel? Here I am at work, what would best best uh, advance the gospel? Here I am as a student in school, what will best advance the gospel? That should always be our question, you know. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. The Christian slave should not think of himself as unwillingly compelled to serve a human master but as one now willi- willingly serving a heavenly master the christian slave as he was instructed in the in the gospel realized that he was now the lord's freedman no matter what the slave's situation inwardly they were free free from the guilt of sin free from the power of satan free from the law as a system of salvation, free from the fear of man, free from the fear of death, free from the need of being resentful and rebellious about their status in life, free to love even an unreasonable master so that the gospel might be brought to them, free to overcome evil with good. Elsewhere, Paul did teach that if a slave was able to earn or purchase or acquire his or her salvation or his or her freedom they should do that let's let's turn to that first uh, Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 1 Corinthians seven twenty <clears throat> let each man remain in the condition in which he is called. Were you called while a slave, do not worry about it, but if you are able also to become free, rather do that. so if there's opportunity to become free, fine. for he who is called in the Lord while a slave is the Lord's freedman, likewise he who is called while free. Is is Christ's slave? You were bought with a price. Do not, do not become slaves of men. So, if if there's a possibility of freedom, fine. But the ultimate thing for Paul was always the glory of God. How can God be glorified? How can the gospel be advanced? Um, and this is what he says in the verse, verse 1 that we looked at here back in 1 Timothy. <clears throat> Let all those who are under the yoke of slaves regard their own masters as worthy of all honor so that the name of God in our doctrine may not be spoken against. Concern for the, the gospel, concern for the advancement of the kingdom. <clears throat> Disobedient, insolent, rebellious slaves would not adorn the gospel of Christ. One writer put it this way, he said, For slaves to have refused obedience would have brought immediate discredit to the Christian faith. Now, one reason that uh, a non-Christian uh, has trouble with these verses is that they don't rightly understand really what Paul Paul's heart was all about. Paul always had in view the eternal importance of the gospel and many people don't rightly understand these verses because they don't understand the eternal importance of the gospel paul believed that if remaining a slave would advance the gospel then it would be better to remain a slave than demand your rights and freedom in other words spiritual freedom far outweighs physical freedom it's a historical fact that some Christians actually sold themselves into slavery in order to advance the gospel or to help others in need. <clears throat> One of the uh, Christian leaders in Rome uh, shortly after the time of the apostles was a man named Clement, um, and he wrote this in 96 A.D. So this is just about 30 years after the time when First Timothy, when Paul wrote Timothy. He said, we know many among ourselves, that would be Christians, we know many among ourselves who have given themselves up to slavery in order that that they could ransom others. Many others have surrendered themselves to slavery so that with with the price they received for themselves, they might provide food for others. So, just this... Attitude that there's something more important than whether I'm, I'm a physical slave or not. And that's spiritual freedom, spiritual help for others. Well, that, that's the first situation. So let's then look at the second situation Paul was dealing with. Christian slaves who had Christian masters. The slave in this situation might be tempted to take advantage of the relationship as an excuse to think that he did not need to work as hard. Or that he was entitled to special exemptions or privileges. He might even not show respect that he should to his master. or Because now the master's is his brother and uh, essentially his equal. I mean, he realizes that uh, all men are made in the image of God. So, uh, you know, I'm on the same plane now. might even take the attitude, I'm free in Christ, so you're not my master anymore. Uh, Paul says no far from serving that Christian master less the fact is if your master is a Christian it should make you want to serve him all the more you see it in verse 2 there let those who have believers as their masters not be disrespectful of them because they are brethren but let them serve them all the more because those who partake of the benefits are believers and beloved. So Paul says, no, you don't Don't go down the wrong avenue of thinking there. Uh, far from serving them less. The fact is, you should want to serve them all the more. If the Christian slave receives better treatment, that should make the slave desire to render better service, not worse. Because you're now serving a beloved brother in Christ. Now, in these verses, these two verses we're looking at today, Paul does not deal with the attitude of the master towards the the slave but he did have some very clear things to say to christian masters and uh, we won't look them up right now but just in in general they, they should show their slaves goodwill and give up threatening and they should also grant their slaves justice and fairness those that would be in Ephesians, we learn that, and also in Colossians. But we especially see Paul's attitude on how a Christian master should treat a Christian slave in the little little letter of Philemon, where Paul tells Philemon to receive back the newly converted runaway slave, Onesimus. He had run away, apparently wasn't a, a Christian when he ran away, Uh somehow ran into paul is converted and now paul's sending him back to philemon but he sends him back as a beloved brother um we won't take the time to look at look it up but it's a tremendous little letter uh showing the the attitude of uh how a christian master should view the christian slave uh and basically, you say Paul says, "Receive him as you'd receive me." He said it just the way you treat me, you treat him. Well, uh, Paul didn't tell him um, specifically to set him free, but he came about as close as he could, could to saying that uh, when he says, uh, "Treat him as you'd treat me. Treat him as a beloved brother." Uh, so it's simply not true that the New Testament writers wanted to promote and perpetuate the institution of slavery. In actuality, it was the teachings of Christianity which have brought about the eventual, eventual abolition of slavery. Why would that be? Why would it be the teachings of Christianity that would bring about the abolition of slavery? Well, let me list some of the reasons. First of all, because the Bible teaches the common origin of all people and that all people are made in the image of God, having dignity and worth. The Bible teaches that God is no respecter of persons, and that the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation to all men, slaves and free, all men. The Bible teaches that in Christ, love for our fellow man is one of the hallmarks of true faith, and that true Christianity defends the rights of the oppressed and the downtrodden. The Bible teaches that God requires his people to do justly and love mercy and walk humbly with him. God's people are to turn away from all forms of selfishness and malice and greed, things which were very uh, prominent in uh, the institution of slavery, greed and malice, selfishness. Christians turn away from those things. Serving Christ and others in humility and love and thinking of others as more important than ourselves are Christian characteristics which actually undermine all oppressive systems, including slavery. If we think of another person as more important than than ourselves, you've just done away with oppression of other people. In fact, Jesus' foundational teaching which we call the golden rule, however you want people to treat you, so treat them, when applied consistently, it is sufficient, sufficient to show that forced bondage of one person to another, one human to another, is contrary to the will of God. Just that one simple phrase of Christ undermines slavery. However you want people to treat you, so treat them. Christianity destroys the very essence of slavery because Christ works in the human heart to replace selfishness with love and cruelty with compassion. On top of all this, the Bible clearly teaches that slave trading is sinful, which would have prevented much of the slavery in the New World. we talked about that last time. There's even verses in the Old Testament, but it's re- reiterated in the New Testament In fact, in in this very book we're looking at, this little letter to Timothy, if you turn back to chapter 1, verse 10, he's talking about the sins of the ungodly and the unholy in in this section and uh, why the law was given. And in verse 10, he says it's for immoral men and homosexuals and kidnappers and liars and perjurers and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. But the word I want to look at here in verse 10 is kidnappers. Um, In the ESV, that's translated enslavers. In the King James, it's translated men stealers. And in the the NIV, it's, it's translated slave traders. If you... Eradicate kidnapping. If you say that this is not a proper function, a way to live, you've just undercut much of New World slavery because that's how it came about. They were kidnapping people in Africa and bringing them across the Atlantic and selling them as slaves. That would have, even that one verse right there, one word, would have made a big difference. One historical fact that's usually not mentioned by those who would say that Christianity endorses slavery, is that by 500 A.D., 500 years after the time of Christ, slavery had sharply declined in the countries that had embraced the Christian worldview. However, in the 600s and and 700s, the Islamic conquest of these Christian territories throughout the Near East and Africa and Spain reintroduced slavery where Christianity had curtailed it. Then, sadly, I'm, I'm jumping around to a lot of periods here, but I'm just trying to give you an over, overview. Then, sadly, in the 1400s, slavery was revived in some Christian lands by professing Christians who put, who put greed above God. Why did that happen in the 1400s? Why do I point out that particular time? Well, it's what happened then is that the trade routes changed. Instead of going across land to get to India and over to China. Uh, The Silk Road, they used to call that, because they could get silk and spices and stuff from those areas. The Portuguese and the Spanish started sailing down around the coast of Africa. And as they did that, they were stopping in the ports there, and there were slaves for sale. And they found out that they could make a lot of money by by buying these slaves and taking them back to Europe, or later on, a little bit later on, across the Atlantic. But what it was partly because of the trade routes changing that the uh, this African slave trade began. Now they were dealing with with people who had already been taken captive. Generally, they'd already been taken captive. Slavery was going on in Africa before. Just like it was everywhere else in the world, but this was black on black slavery, and they found these people uh, there in these ports along the west coast of Africa, and that once they started buying those slaves, that just made the market for more slaves and more slaves, and so by it wasn't very long before you had a thriving slave trade out of West Africa across the Atlantic into. Uh, South America, Caribbean, and then North America. Um, Something like 13 million slaves were brought across. And uh, terrible, terrible conditions. If you've seen any of the movies that have been made about this, uh, cramming these people into these slave ships like sardines, like, hundreds of thousands of these slaves died before they even got across the atlantic because of the conditions they were putting on these slave ships so uh, that that th- this idea of slavery according to race really began about in about the 1500s and it was because of this african slave trade it's a very sad fact that some christians Even prominent theologians in the southern United States selectively used Bible verses like the one we're looking at today. They picked those verses out of the flow of the Bible, just picked those verses out, and defended a pro-slavery position and actually would teach slaves that it was God's will for them to be slaves. So I want to deal with that just a little bit here. Some of these southern theologians even chided the northern abolitionists saying they were not really Bible believers since the Bible taught slavery. Uh, Now, some of the abolitionists weren't Christians. Some of them were, some of them weren't. There's a a lot of different... uh, Worldviews that came into play in relationship to the abolition of slavery, but the the theologians would point to verses like the ones we are dealing with today and saying, "See, the Bible very, very clearly teaches slavery," and uh, so I I think that these pro-slavery theologians. Had the strict letter of the Bible verse, but missed the spirit of the overall biblical revelation, which is what I've been trying to teach this this time and last time. But I do want to be fair to what they were saying, so let me give you some of their arguments. I mean, to us today, we just we can't see how this could possibly be taught by anybody that names the name of Christ, but. Uh, I, w- I want to give you a sense of how that could be one Baptist minister said that slavery stands as an institution of God he's, he said it's clear in the Bible that this was a endorsed institution of God um, just as a good summary statement here's Jefferson Davis he's the president of the Confederate States of America he said that Slavery was established by the decree of Almighty God. It was sanctioned in the Bible in both testaments from Genesis to Revelation and has existed in all ages and has been found among the people of the highest civilizations. So the idea that the Bible sanctions slavery was very common and the reason they would say that, for instance, Abraham, the father of the faith, and all the patriarchs held slaves without God's disapproval. Cana, Ham's son, was a slave to his brothers. God said that's the way it's going to be. He's going to be a slave to his brothers. The Ten Commandments mention slavery twice. That's in chapter 20 of Exodus, verses 10 and 17. Many laws that are given in the Old Testament, we looked at some of them, related to slavery. Slavery was widespread uh, throughout the Roman world, and yet Jesus never spoke against it. He even used the uh, practice of slavery as illustrations in some of his parables, like the uh, that would be like the uh, king who called his slaves to give an account. There in Matthew 18, uh, the Apostle Paul specifically commands slaves to obey their masters. That's the verse we're looking at today. Uh, Paul returned a runaway slave Philemon to his master. Uh, Again, we've already looked at that a little bit. But they they took just the fact that he returned the slave as an endorsement of slavery. Actually, Paul is in a little bit of a predicament on that because Roman law taught that if you helped or harbored a runaway slave, you would be punished yourself. You were supposed to return the slave. The Bible said don't return the slaves. Remember, we read that in the Old Testament. So Paul had a dilemma. But I think he answered that dilemma by returning Uh, Onesimus but he returned a different person he returned him as a beloved brother in Christ Um, there were other reasons that the the, uh, people in the south and some of these theologians endorsed uh, slavery they said it removed these people from a culture of devil worship and practicing witchcraft and sorcery Slavery brings heathens to a Christian land where they can hear the gospel. Christian masters provided religious instruction for their slaves. Christian slave owners treated their slaves with kindness. They would say, you know, you may see some abuse, but they're trying to go by the Bible that says, uh, you know, treat your slaves with justice and fairness. Um, Some taught that the abolition of of slaves would cause a great up, uh, uprising, bloodshed, and anarchy. Uh, some of them taught that if slavery would just, if you just leave us alone, this would gradually be phased out, and there wouldn't be all the bloodshed. And then also they said Christians are to obey the civil authorities, and the authorities in their area said that. Uh, slavery was okay. And the last thing I'd mention is that some said the church should concentrate on spiritual matters and not political ones, we've heard that before. So those were some, some of the justifications uh, that were given uh, to justify slavery. But in general, as the deeper sense of the direction of the biblical revelation permeates a nation, slavery more and more is done away with as one writer says no equivalent movement towards abolition is discernible in any non-christian civilization until they are shamed by the christian example into abolishing slavery it was christianity as it went around around the world that began to show people that you know this institution of owning one person owning another person as property is wrong. Uh, Talking about shaming other uh, nations into uh, recognizing the wrongness of slavery. It wasn't until 1962 that Saudi Arabia abolished slavery. Think of that, 1962. As things stand today, slavery is nowhere legal, but is practiced illegally around the world. Today it generally goes under the heading of human trafficking. And I was just reading uh, a website yesterday that says the estimate now is that there's 21 million people that are involved in this human trafficking, forced labor, child labor, sexual trafficking, uh... But the biggest part of that uh, human trafficking is still forced labor. It's slavery. So it's not as if uh, it doesn't go by that name anymore is the point. Every nation would say, yeah, we're against slavery. It just goes under a different heading. So I want to try to sum up the complexity and diversity of the various historical situations And the direction of God's revelation on this subject must be recognized to properly understand the Christian view of slavery. As Christians, we should assert clearly that the direction of biblical teaching is always away from selfishness, greed, and injustice. It's always that direction that Christianity points. And it always points towards equality, dignity, and loving relationships. If you just take those basic things right there, you see you have a totally different uh, understanding of how a Christian should view this thing of slavery. In all this, our priority should be, must be and should be the same as the Apostle Paul's. His emphasis was always on the advancement of the gospel through individual transformation of the heart. That's, that's the way the gospel is really advanced. Individual transformation of the heart and a growth the growth of a Christ-like community which is what the church is to be the growth of a Christ-like community a community where the law of Christ is lived out daily if you have more Christians that rightly understand the word of God you're going to have a le- you're going to have less oppression oppression less injustice less unrighteousness As it's it's important to see that we can make laws, and it's good that laws are made. It's good that there's a law against slavery. But the real slavery has to do with slavery to sin, and the human heart has to be set free, and that's what the gospel does. And as the gospel goes forth, and as more people truly become Christian, you see... uh, Many of these things that are uh, very wrong in society turned away from as more people become Christians. Paul said, There's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free man, there's neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So, been going a long time. Uh, Time to decide see what normally is done then with these verses is that since we're not actually dealing with slavery specifically right now in Kirksville uh, these verses are used to draw some principles uh, from in relationship to employee employers and employees and I think that's a valid although it's obviously not a direct parallel hopefully you don't have a slave master as an employer but there are some difficult employers and so you can glean some principles from this but I think I've probably talked enough so we'll, we'll leave that for next time there's quite a few things you can actually draw from these not just this verse, but the other verses in the New Testament related to slaves and masters. So, um, I hope that this is given a little broader perspective on these verses. And again, like I said uh, to be in the beginning here, that you have to kind of combine this with the message last week. <coughs> To see the flow, the direction that God was taking in uh, his word in relationship to this subject. Um, I do think it was a sad mistake uh, that was made. And a lot of it had to do with just the the surrounding culture there in the south. uh, Slave labor. Labor was very profitable Uh, so you have the love of money being the root of all sorts of evil that would be one area that it came out in Uh, but the thing is you know if you're surrounded by a situation it's easy to justify what you're doing in terms of well this is what's best what seems best uh, for us and the real lesson for us has to be what are we where are we being blinded today? You see, where are we? Where are we missing it today? Uh, where we justify things that should not be justified, and we kind of sh- uh, shift the verse just enough to make it fit into our system instead of really what God, what would be pleasing to God. So it's a lesson there for us all too. Well, let's let's close in prayer. Father, we we don't want to be deceived, and we know that each one of us have blind spots, areas that we just not seeing things clearly. We pray you to open our eyes. We you lead us, bring us on, lead us forward, and show us where we're in error, even even as a a little group of your people here today. We want to be brought on. We don't want to stay in any area that uh, we're we're missing it. We're we're not uh, seeing your truth clearly. Help us. Help us to rightly understand your word. Uh, It's so easy to to, uh, read something and just... Read it with our, our um, blinders on where we don't really see what you're saying. Help us. We ask for your mercy upon us as a church and as individuals. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.